0: From 1944 to 1945, the 52nd Lowland Division is fighting its way across Northwest Europe. The writing is on the wall, but it's also on the page. The Army Education Branch sends a newsletter out to thousands of men, all pulling together, pushing the enemy back. This newsletter is called The Lowlander.
1: Andy? Hello, Merrin. Hello, hello. We are back again looking at editions of The Lowlander that were sent out between the 18th of December and the 24th of December 1944.
0: Yeah, and we like to think the men of the 52nd Lowland Division would have been huddled around reading this newsletter every day. Uh, we've picked out some of the articles that caught our eye as we read it, and we're going to look a little closer at what the editor was sharing with the men. Uh, but what else is going on this week, Merrin?
1: Well, in this week in 1944, 50 V-1 rockets were launched from Heinkel 111 bombers flying over the North Sea, targeting Manchester, sadly killing 42 and injuring more than 100 people in the Oldham area. General Douglas MacArthur became the second US five-star general. And uh, staying with the Americans for a moment, Brigadier General Anthony C. McAuliffe, commander commander of the US forces defending Bastogne, refused to accept demands for surrender by sending a one-word reply to the German command. And that one word was?
0: Uh, oh, go on, tell me. Nuts. Yes. <laughs> More about that later, I think.
1: More about that later. Shall we find out where the jocks are?
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, they're actually in the same position as they were the week before. So we talked last week about the Rohr Triangle and the 52nd Lowland Division as part of uh, 12 Corps are in the bottom, the base of that triangle, right, running from uh, the Dutch town of Sittard uh, east towards the German city of Gellinkarken. And they're in the forests and the villages and the fields uh, right along that bottom of that line. Um, so the, there's there's two brigades in the line where one brigade is back in reserve and the battalions are swapping around every few days into different positions, having a bit of rest, having a little bit of recuperation before going back into the lines. And the, it's not particularly uh, heavy combat, but there's lots of patrolling, there's lots of artillery shoots, lots of recce patrols, um, and basically just finding out what the enemy are up to. Um but the other pressure that's on now is because I mentioned earlier on oh, previous episodes, uh, that is where the, the British Army and the American Ninth Army join. There's quite a little bit of tension and the worry that the Germans might put in a, a local counterattack there to try and split that open. Because at the same time, uh, again, as we mentioned last week, the Battle of the Bulges started, so the Arden Offensive and so there's quite a lot of worry about what the Germans are up to. So, so it's, not just, uh, it's not just comfortable sitting in the line. There is actually quite a bit of tension.
1: Okay. Well, shall we get started?
0: I think that's a good idea. So do I. December 18th, 1944. Russian progress in northeast Hungary. The main fighting in Hungary is now centred in the northeast of the country, beyond the town of Miskolc, where the Red Army has got within five miles of the Czechoslovak frontier, the Russian salient north of Budapest has also been broadened.
1: Mm, I don't know much about Miss Gulch. I do know that there's a a surfeit of hyphens going on in this paragraph. (laughs) Czechoslovak,
0: Russian,
1: Budapest. Yeah. Go on, tell me about Miss Colch then.
0: Well, I don't know about Miss Coach specifically because, of course, the, this this area and the sweep of the Eastern Front is absolutely huge. But basically, this is part of um, the huge offensive to take Hungary, and it's basically the second, the third, and the fourth Ukrainian fronts advancing into Hungary okay. uh, and fighting, fighting the Germans. And there's uh, there's about 13, 14 uh, uh, or Soviet divisions fighting a about four German and three Hungarian-Romanian-type divisions as well. So it's it's fairly Um, one-sided. And at this stage, so in the the, the last couple of weeks of December, it's in in what's known as the third period where um, uh, the third Ukrainian front have have reached the Danube River uh, river after liberating Belgrade. And that's really given them a big springboard to then sweep down south uh, towards the capital Budapest and they're going to finally encircle that next month, probably into January and into February 13th, where eventually they'll, they'll, uh, they'll completely encircle the city and then take it. From about 79,000 defenders in Budapest, less than 1,000 managed to avoid death or captivity. So typical Soviet way of war. It's just going to be an absolute bloodbath. Um, but yeah, so it's, um, it's a huge battle that's going on. But of course, it only gets a tiny little bit in the lowlander. It's only like a,
1: mm.
0: say a paragraph.
1: I wonder if the men are actually aware of of the balance of fighting and and just how much action there is in these places.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose what you got to remember as well, we have certain opinions about the Russians and the Soviets nowadays, um, yeah. but at the time, all of the propaganda was about Uncle Joe, brave uh, Soviets defending their freedom yeah. and all the rest of it. So I think they probably, I think they probably have a good idea of the scale. Um, and certainly the amount of fighting that they have to do. And I think there's probably an acknowledgement that that they are tying down more of the Germans than the Allies are.
1: Okay, so do we see what else is going on elsewhere in Europe then? Yeah, good idea. Also on Monday the 18th of December, Faenza falls to New Zealanders. The long, drawn-out struggle for Faenza had a triumphant conclusion yesterday when the New Zealand Division under General Freiburg made a fresh crossing of the Lamone River and, assaulting the city from the east and northwest, swept the Germans out. Without pausing, the New Zealanders, who've been back with the 8th Army for several weeks, are pressing on beyond the city. The enemy has thus lost the use of a valuable winter base, and the Allies are now only 30 miles from Bologna, which is also threatened from the south by the 5th Army in the hills.
0: Well, so we've got a little bit of an Italian update there.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is, um, I have to double check, this might be part of Operation Chuckle. That was the Canadian one, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, it was. We, we'll Operation to, Chuckle. We'll get to Operation Chuckle next week, I
0: oh, think. Chuckle's Freiberg.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, Chuckle's Freiberg. Bernard Freiberg. What do you know about Bernard?
0: Um, I know that he was wounded quite a few times. He's got a Victoria Cross and he's entirely to blame for the debacle on Crete.
1: <laughs> He's a dude. No, seriously, he was. The, yeah, he got his he got his VC in 1916 because he, he basically went mad and took a village and rounded up loads of prisoners and got loads of um, wounds at the same time. In 29, though, he mm-hmm. commanded the first battalion Manchester Regiment, and of course, first, yes, he did. And of course, the first and seventh Manchester's were in the 52nd, weren't
0: they? Uh well, the seventh Manchester's were.
1: Well, the first well, the first Manchester's in, in the 52nd as well.
0: Well, not oh, no, in the Second World War.
1: Oh, oh, it's very confusing.
0: Then were the Manchester's definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Bear in mind, in the um in the pre-war period, the 52nd Lowland is a territorial division.
1: So hang on a minute. So who are the Manchester's that were at Retum then?
0: They are the 53rd Wessex. So in each of the infantry divisions, yes, the British infantry divisions in Northwest Europe the machine gun uh, battalion is made up of either the Manchester's and I believe the Kensington's as well. Right. So uh, the 52nd Lowland Division has 7th Manchesters. Yes. And they have them all the way throughout the war. Um, and they provide the Vickers machine gun battalion.
1: Okay. He was still a legend though. I quite like Well, that. I mean,
0: am I right in thinking he wasn't the sharpest tool in the box?
1: Um I think he was a, oh
0: and not, I mean that in terms of an operational strategic level not you know he's clearly smart enough to, to I don't know to, if
1: you, I don't know if you'd describe him as gung ho I know that um we sort of decided that he wasn't really fit for service and the New Zealanders said we'll have him okay He did okay he did okay <laughs> And he was of course talking complete and utter bollocks here what he meant to say was the fifty third Welsh Division. We return now to the Lowlander.
0: Tuesday nineteenth of december nineteen forty four. Strenuous German counterattacks. Flinging more tanks and infantry into the battle, the enemy is striving to consolidate and extend his first gains, described officially as in inverted commas. Substantial, the Belgian-Luxembourg frontiers, Monschau Forest, south of A, and a few miles from the Belgian town of Malmedy, has been scene of vigorous engagements. In all, von Rundstedt's army, led by a crack Panzer formation and specially trained paratroops, has crossed into Belgium at three points, besides one penetration into Luxembourg. So security silence has limited information about what is happening on the 60 mile front. Appropriate American countermeasures are being taken, and reports speak of First Army digging in to stem the tank assaults. At the moment, the situation is described as fluid, and certain points, the Germans have advanced some miles.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of things there. The first one, and I'm going to be picky with the editor now, is for some reason, panzers have lost their capital P all over this page.
0: Well, I think that's a a dig at the enemy, isn't it?
1: And do you think it might be?
0: It's reducing the enemy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the most basic terms. Let's take away his capital letter. Yeah, it's it's um, the other thing that really strikes me is they they're talking about limited information on a sixty mile front. Yeah. Okay. But this isn't this isn't brand new news, is it? This has been going on for a while.
0: Well, it's the sixteenth of December it started, and this is the nineteenth of December. It's not only is it and the intelligence reports and the reports the guys are getting, but it's also in the news as well. And in fact, one thing is surprising, maybe not surprising, but when you look at the newspaper archives for this time, it is plastered everywhere. All of the German movements are everywhere. And it's actually really well recorded. Um, It's about how they manage a crisis, I suppose. Um, It's a very different way than just being completely silent or quiet and not telling anybody anything where you can make all sorts of assumptions. But actually there's loads of news. Um, The interesting thing for me is he talks about a crack panzer formation. What he's talking about there is, and these are their words, not my words, is the Kampfgruppe Piper. So a German officer called Joachim Piper. He's part of the 1st SS uh, panzer division Liebstandarte, um, which is the kind of premier, for want of a better word, uh, SS, Waffen-SS formation. They actually drove really hard towards Stavelo, which is about 100-odd kilometres from their start line. Uh, but they mention Malmedy, and at this point, what they don't realise in the Lowlander is that there's been a, that's a scene of a massacre. So about 85, yeah. 84, American soldiers, prisoners of war, were rounded up and shot by that division. Um, and it only comes out later, actually, when they take the, the ground back and they find the bodies and they speak to the witnesses that they find out that, that there was a there was a uh, war crime committed.
1: I'm so glad you said Premier Formation, not Elite.
0: yes. <laughs> well, I mean, elite, well, we don't want to get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> again I mean, the, the premier in that, it's given all the resources. it's given all the best stuff, best in party oh. commerce as opposed to, say the Volksgrenadier divisions which are in the South attacking into Luxembourg.
1: so so um I mean, perhaps we should just say that we don't read every part of every article out because actually this one takes up most of the page. but yeah. almost at the bottom of the page, this is um the, the front side of the Tuesday. Nineteenth of December, Lowlander. There's mm-hmm. one one line paragraph that says German prisoners say they've been told that Hitler has planned this counterattack down to the last detail. I would challenge some of that, although I know you know he's still getting quite involved wow. in this point. But it, it, does, it does beg the question. <laughs> it beg the question, doesn't it? I mean, how well. much involvement did he have in that?
0: I think it's his idea. <laughs> But one thing we know about Hitler is he's not the details guy. No, he's not um, although he does micromanage, he he's not he's not, he, he's kind of a it's kind of a one of his many contradictions. Um, he's yeah. a, a micromanager, but also he's not that into the detail. Um, and in fact, he kind of lives and breathes Althag tactic. So he kind of gets his subordinates oh, to, to to yeah. I said it. I said the A word.
1: <laughs> you can't have the to- and Unpronounceable in the same article. Come
0: on. Yes, we can. Eighteenth of December, nineteen forty-four. One hundred Italian prisoners have just escaped from a camp in Scotland. They were all fascist sympathisers, and it is believed that they escaped via a tunnel.
1: Ooh.
0: <laughs> Must have been. You can't just have a normal Italian escaping, can you?
1: No, you can't.
0: Uh, well, so so do you know anything about this, Marin? You're no. you're you're a resident Italian expert. Yeah,
1: um, I don't know about that, but um, what do I know about this? What do I know about this? Oh, um, the, there were some other escape attempts this same week. There was one in Devises and Wiltshire, and right. there was one in Cheshire. I think that was the one where the um, the Luftwaffe officers broke out and tried to steal a B twenty six.
0: Well, I mean that's. I mean, you've just trumped my Italian story because that sounds much more interesting. <laughs> it's not but, bad. Um, but of course, it's been reported because it was a camp in Scotland. In fact, it was called The Great Escape of Dunefoot. Now, Dunefoot was an Italian uh, prisoner of war camp in Ayrshire in Scotland. In fact, just outside uh, the town of Eyre, Um the camp was on the sort of windswept cliff <laughs> cliff edge, not far from the Heads of Ayr, overlooking the Isle of Arran. So I've managed to get it in this episode.
1: Yay! Um,
0: uh, and they'd been digging a tunnel for some some weeks leading up to it. Um, the guys uh, escaped on the night of the seventeenth. Um, now I don't know if you know anything about Scotland in winter time, Marion, but
1: it's cold, it's wet, and it's, it's wet and it's cold, very yeah.
0: miserable. And they were they were all rounded up pretty quickly. And the reason why is they they'd managed to escape. They managed to get a few miles away from the camp, but most of them had started to light fires to keep warm because it was very wet and miserable. So. Um, I think they get points for effort for escaping, but um, not much else.
1: I was waiting to find out what they called the tunnel.
0: Well, I don't know. What what is Italian for tunnel? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Traforo. um, (laughs) So we'd got Tom, Dick and Harry, didn't we? Those those are the upon tunnels. Uh, Giuseppe, (laughs)
0: Luigi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) 19th of December. Fish without water. Opposite Aberdeen, on the bleak and windswept point at the mouth of the Dee, stands the Torrey Research Station. As a result of experiments carried out there, a new item will appear on the soldiers' menus overseas, dehydrated herring. When it reaches your mess it will have one great advantage over the real thing, no bones.
0: So what do we wow. think about that? <laughs> I mean... I'm going to be honest,
1: mm-hmm. if I was
0: in my uh, slit trench, my yep. my foxhole, and I was overlooking the windswept snowy um, fields just opposite the German uh, near Kirken.
1: Herring uh, would not be at the top of your list.
0: Herring is dehydrated herring.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, fresh herring. Dehydrated
1: no, so so they're dug in at the minute, so they're they're getting half decent meals, aren't they?
0: Yeah, but they're still so if you're out on the forward bet you're you're on you're on rations. So you are getting um in fact, to be fair, we don't know what, what how they're being delivered to the troops. That that's a good point. But I I'm gonna say I'll stick to my bully beef and biscuits, thank you. You can have my uh, dehydrated herring
1: so uh, do you want to know about dehydrated herring
0: i I mean i if we if we were to move on without finding out what dehydrated herring is (laughs) i can imagine the smell but but please describe it to me
1: it doesn't smell as much it doesn't smell so this was a really really big thing because um back in back in the uk back in britain they had introduced something called the herring industry bill the herring industry (laughs) bill No, don't laugh. This is really important, right? There were about 7,500 Scots fishermen and 2,500 Englishmen who were um, working in the herring industry. I mean, there were were something like 25,000, 30,000 other people kippering and gutting and manufacturing nets and bits and pieces. But the total catch each year was equivalent to 5,000,000 hundredweight. Being an island nation, we had a lot of herring going on. And what they worked out was that If we were going to have any problems with food and food shortages, it might be an idea to explore how we could make best use of Mother Nature. Right. So, they, so they went off at, um, at Torrey and started investigating how to dehydrate herring. And they got really excited about it because, um, I mean, if you check out Hansard, they talk about it having as many, if not more, vitamins than salmon, being more um, more flavours than salmon. They saw it as a real alternative as, um, as time went on.
0: Um, I can just imagine uh, little Timmy is sat on his granddad's lap Tell me, Grandad, what did you do in the war? (laughs) I was a pioneer in the dehydration of herring. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got everything. Hansard's everything. I know, I know. Religion,
1: disputes, weights and measures, old wives' tales. Um, At the time, women under 35 didn't like herring, but women... They did the whole deal. They did um, market research and everything.
0: I mean, amazing. I mean, it just shows you the the breadth of the war and the breadth of the the subjects covered in the (laughs)
1: Lowlander. Broadcast to bring you a very important commercial message. Coded for operational reasons. Thank you for listening. We will resume our broadcast. 22nd of December. If you haven't seen an ATS over here yet, don't be disheartened. More are on their way. Sir James Grigg yesterday announced that girls over 21 are to be drafted overseas on the same lines as male troops. It's a break for the bachelor soldiers, for those selected will be
0: unmarried. (laughs) You? I mean, it's... It's... I'm not going to say it's sexist, (laughs) but the only benefit of having ATS women is to cheer the boys up. (laughs) I mean, that's interesting. I actually actually didn't realise... I was aware of nurses, etc. fighting in uh, Normandy or being in Normandy, but I wasn't mm. aware of ATS, so I, didn't, I wasn't aware of
1: that. Yeah, the, the overall aim was to release men for more, um, more active operational duties, yep. combat duties. Um, but the, the strange thing here is that Griggs is involved because he'd got a reputation for being a little bit on the reserved side of things. So right. um, your favourite craggy Glaswegian, Mr Reese. Right. Yes, he of the BBC and BOAC, mm-hmm. Minister of Works. Yep. He picked a fight with Reith um, because Reith had developed a, shall we say, um, a, a certain traction to his young secretaries. Oh. And he put in a request to have his young ATS girl transferred to him. And Griggs wrote a note on his file that, brace yourself, I will not have my officers ATS shunted about to suit the convenience of John Reith, who somewhat late in life has discovered the art of fucking.
0: Family show. Come on, it's a family show, Merrin. Uh, Which part of Reith's uh, mandate for the BBC of educate, inform and entertain was that part of then?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's Griggs (laughs) writing the note. But um, from memory, I think that this was the point at which they'd also started writing notes on files, things like um, SFM suitable for mixed or NFM not for mixed as Mm -hmm. to whether or not um, people were should be put together or not.
0: Well, and and, and of course, ATS, they end up in North East Europe. Did uh, the late Queen Elizabeth II, did she come over to Europe? I think she just stayed in the UK, didn't she?
1: Yeah, I think she stayed in the UK. That's
0: probably just as well with those jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on.
1: So again on December the 22nd, in the House of Lords, Lord Swinton yesterday refuted... Suggestions that General Critchley, the director of the government-sponsored British Overseas Airways Corporation and the Greyhound Racing Association were making a good thing out of the corporation. Neither the general's expenses, he said, nor the rent charged for the use of the GRA promises was excessive.
0: Well, I mean, we've, we've, we've done some, some, some journey on uh, now, this week. We've gone to Hungary, Budapest, the Battle of the Bulge, Herring's.
1: No, yeah, back to Barclay Square.
0: Back to Barclays and Greyhounds. So, do you just unpick un- that for me? What, what do they actually mean? What's what's the issue here? So,
1: so um, this is BOAC. So, you, you remember I said about our our favourite craggy Glaswegian, Ruth. Yep. Yep. So he was asked by Chamberlain to go and sort out what was then called uh, Imperial Airways, which had been subsidised by the government. It was flying passengers and mail to the outposts of the Empire. Um, But by 1938, it was losing track to other carriers like Lufthansa. So Mm -hmm. um, Reith's job was to go in and convert it, organise it, sort it out, um, and turn it into what we now know used to be British British Overseas Airways Corporation, BOAC. He did a really good job, um, mainly because he was down in the weeds digging mm. out the details. But as the organisation organization grew, it needed premises. So what it did was it went into the um, Greyhound Racing Association's old offices. And the Greyhound mm. Racing Association leased the offices to BOAC. But um, somebody in Parliament turned around and said, What's going on here? Because they put two and two together and come up with the fact that a lot of guys from Number Fifty Four Group Training Command Royal Air Force yep. were kind of floating around from one organisation to the other. So there was there was a a, a little bit of a suspicion that somebody was getting pigs trotters without a coupon, as it were, that somebody was pulling a fast one and getting mm-hmm. a, a deal on the rent. Not the case, however. Not the case.
0: Sounds like sleaze, but ah, yeah. no,
1: you say sleaze. Now that's one of my favourite Hansard entries, if you can have such a thing. And I know that's really sad because no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You go and read Hansard nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five. It's very, very interesting, but it, it happens to have the word glows in it because they talk uh. about glowsing over um, the details, and well, actually, what they mean is gloss over because glows is very archaic, which you'd expect mm. in Hansard anyway. But yeah. I quite like
0: this. Yeah, it's not bad, is it?
1: Yeah. 23rd of December,
0: 1944. Destroy the enemy, Eisenhower. The Supreme Commander yesterday afternoon addressed a special order of the day to all Allied troops on the Western Front. In a last great gamble, said General Eisenhower, the enemy is making his supreme effort to break out the desperate plight in which your brilliant victories of the summer and autumn forced him. He's fighting savagely, continued the order, and using every treacherous trick to deceive and to kill you. Already largely foiled in his plans, he's given us the chance to turn the greatest gamble into the worst defeat. Then came a stirring appeal to all allied troops. I call on every man to destroy the enemy, to destroy him on the ground and in the air and to destroy him everywhere. Destroy him. With God's help, it concluded, we will go forward to our greatest victory. Over the whole battlefield, there was a blanket of cloud again yesterday, but even though the panzer onslaught has not spent itself, it was steadily being brought under control. On the north, the vital line guarding the approaches to Liège and the Meuse still holds. Monschau, Malmode and Stavlo are in our hands. Fifty miles to the south, the second spearhead has been blunted by a magnificent delaying action by American troops at St Vith. Although outflanked, and left behind the main front, they knocked out 55 German tanks on Thursday. It is in his third and southernmost column that von Rundstedt is now exercising his greatest pressure. Even here, Allied pockets were last reported hanging out at Echtenacht and Wiltz in Luxembourg, although forward Panzer elements had struck on into Belgium and crossed the main road south of Bastogne to spread alarm the enemy's reviving his old dodge of rumour-mongering. If you should feel tempted to pass on a rumour, remember, it's playing into the enemy's game.
1: And that last bit is in capital letters, isn't it? Now, that does, does, to some extent, makes up for the fact that the editor is still writing the word Panzer without a capital P. (laughs) It's very petty. (laughs) I know, but it's important. Well, perhaps it's not important. There's an awful lot going on on this page, isn't
0: there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the, the name that jumps out in that report, I mean, obviously Eisenhower is the Supreme Commander, um, is Bastogne. Now, if any of our listeners know anything about the Second World War, they're likely to have heard about Bastogne. Of course, it was made famous by Band of Brothers, which is an um, easy company in the 101st Airborne. And they were actually in Bastogne as it was encircled by the Germans. And that encirclement really ha- started or happened on the 21st of uh, December. And this mm-hmm. report is actually coming out on the 23rd. So at this point, they are already uh, encircled by the, by the Germans in the south. Um,
1: Bastone.
0: Bastone. And of course, as you as you uh, foreshadowed in the intro, uh, on the 22nd, the general commanding um, the 101st Airborne, the main commander was away, but the second in command, um, General McAuliffe, mm-hmm. he sent back a surrender demand to the German uh, General von Lutwitz, which said, of course, nuts to your request. Which doesn't mm. actually make that much sense when you when you think about it, but you know it works. It works. Well,
1: you, you kind of hope that they would have been able to translate the idiom into something appropriate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't yeah. looked up what the German for nuts is. Nuts. Yeah, it's Nusser, no, it's isn't no. it? It's just Nusser. Nusser. Yeah, well, see, it doesn't quite. See, it doesn't quite work. <laughs> it doesn't oh, God, it's quite the same ring to it, does it? There's a map on this page. There is a map
0: on this page. Now I think we need to dissect the map slightly. <laughs>
1: So, so this is not a bad map. It's the bottom right quadrant of an A4 page. And um, it's got bad stone right in the middle of it. And it looks as though there's um, there's a scale at the bottom left. And it looks as though the editor, or whoever's put the page together, has traced over a real map. Mm. Do you know how you can tell?
0: Go on, tell me.
1: Slarty Bart fast clues here. Okay. Okay. Uh, it, it's the wiggly bits. The wiggly bits around saint vit and Clairvaux ah, and yeah. Arlons are too good to be true. So Yeah, I think, got you. So I think, although the River Meuse is a little bit... Um, suspect. Suspect.
0: It's a very wide river.
1: <laughs> and, and i got to tell you, there's a lot more mountains around Bastogne yeah. than there really are. Um, I think this is a good tracing, yeah.
0: But it also has three arrows in it, and those arrows do actually genuinely represent the main thrust. So you've got...
1: Yeah, they do. Um,
0: you've got the main... Sixth arm, six panzer army thrust in the north, then you've yeah. got the thruster in Saint Vit, and then you've got the, the southern one, which is towards Basto through Viltz and Clairvaux, yeah. etc. So, yeah, it's not a bad little map. Um, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. <gasps> no, no, that's that's way too high. 4.4. 4. Okay, well, I understand, yeah, but what's the purpose of map is to relay what's happening in real view um, on the ground, and yeah, it's not it. 5.1, okay.
1: all right, 5.1 5. 5. out. 1, thank
0: 18. you. 23rd of December 1944. The Secretary of State for Scotland is going to wage a private war of his own, on midges. He said if Scotland is to attract tourists, it must get rid of these insect pests. Maybe a gentle control of the weather might help the tourist industry as well. Midges. Yes. I cannot agree with the Secretary of State for Scotland more <laughs> Tom Johnson, by the way. So Tom Johnson was uh, was a Labour MP. He was actually a red clay sider. and um, uh, he was very conscious of the uh, the tourist industry in Scotland, which is, I think, Scotland's largest industry nowadays. Mm. Um, and it's of course anybody who's ever been to Scotland, especially the West Coast where I'm from, you are plagued by midges.
1: 155 different kinds of midge in Scotland. I've met yeah. most of them. <laughs>
0: I mean, the one we're talking about is, of course, the main one or the the sort of main branch of that is the the Highland Midge.
1: The Highland Um, Midge. Ah, no, no. Okay, bumper fact. There's one thing I do know about midges. Did you know that it wasn't called a Highland Midge until after the war?
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: Okay, so um, uh, what's his name? Johnson. He said um, he said we've got to do something about the midges. So he commissioned a report and it was I think it was in the report that they start calling it a Highland Midge.
0: Now that in itself sounds like it's a bit of a touristy thing. If we what? call it the Highland Midge, we make it. <laughs> I, do, I mean, for our listeners out there who have never experienced a midge, I can't. Just... They're tiny little things. It's not like mosquitoes. I've been to no. the tropics. I have seen mosquitoes uh, in the jungle and all the rest of it. These are worse.
1: No, they really are bad, aren't they?
0: They. I mean, they, you know, they're like a know...
1: stealth mosquito.
0: I mean, they're not as big as a mosquito. They don't uh, have as big a bite. They don't spread communicable diseases, which is important thing, but they are maddening. I mean, they will actually send you yeah. the same. Um, and I'm going to say that um, I think maybe Tom Johnson didn't succeed in his war against midges.
1: No, he <laughs> didn't. He didn't. Or, um, they, they did try and um, develop some chemicals to suppress yeah. them, didn't they?
0: Yeah, and what they found out is actually very, very cold weather's uh, in the winter, actually, can yeah. do quite a bit. But uh, with global warming, it's just going to make it worse.
1: So you mentioned diseases there. Did you know there are actually midge-biting maps? No, I didn't. Yeah, there are. Oh. So in, in in it's one of these things to do with um, using maps to try and work out how we can prevent health and communicable diseases. But there's a website, we'll stick it in the show notes, there's a website that actually shows um, biting midge maps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, some of the swarms of midges are big enough to appear on a map.
1: Yeah, but it, it classifies them different. I mean, yeah, you, you know, there are 155 types of midge. Well, I do know. It classi- yeah, it classifies each map. You can go and check out which midges are biting where. It's a proper ah. smorgasbord of midge maps.
0: Smog- well, I'm the smorgasbord <laughs> to the midges. <laughs> and finally this week, we go to our thought for the day, which comes from the 19th of December, 1944. Not doubting by your obedience to my general, by your concord in the camp and your valour in the field, we shall shortly have a famous victory over these enemies of God, of my kingdom and of my people. Queen Elizabeth,
1: 1586. Eww.
0: Well, when I first when I first saw that we were going to do this, I read Queen Elizabeth and thought, shall I, am I going to have to do my Queen Elizabeth a second impression? <laughs> and I realised that a hey, Queen Elizabeth, wasn't the Queen during the Second World War, and it was actually the first Queen Elizabeth. So,
1: <laughs> every time you do a Queen Elizabeth impression, I get to do a Scots impression. You know that. Don't uh,
0: you? fair enough. That's a deal. Okay, um, but it's, um, it's it's
1: it's wrong. It's not fifteen eighty
0: six. Okay. You know, it
1: do you know what it is? This is the Tilbury speech. This was the ninth oh. of Yeah, this is the 9th of August 1586. There's um still a lot of worries about Spain invading. We've got Spanish Armada on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And Robert Dudley's been put in charge of the army down at Tilbury on the Thames. Yes. So so Bob is rallying the troops. Liz goes down to G them up and basically tell them Bob's the man. A no. bit that's um much, much, much better known is the bit that goes. I know I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but ah. I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too.
0: That, that speech. Well, you, I didn't realise as well. You can actually go and see. You can actually see some of the footings for the pier that she said that on. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Tilbury. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's no other reason to go to Tilbury in my opinion.
1: <laughs> That's unkind. Just to alienate
0: our Essex listeners. <laughs>
1: So the other thing to note there, though, once you finish dissing Tilbury, is that the only way we know about this is that it was published in correspondence between uh, Lionel Sharp and the Duke of Buckingham in 1654. So if you think about the the gap in time between 1654 and backtracking to 1586, I don't know whether collective memory got it right or not, mm. but I'm I'm willing to bet that it it wasn't far from it.
0: Yeah, I mean the good thing about this thought for the day is it's relatively easy for me to understand. It's not deeply philosophical. It's just, can we please destroy the enemy? Thank you. <laughs>
1: it's rallying the troops. Yeah, it, it is. It's the um, it's the medieval, late medieval equivalent of go and destroy the troops, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's almost like we thought about it.
1: <laughs> Shall we wrap it up there?
0: I think that's a good idea.
1: All right. See you next week.
0: Yeah, bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lowlander. The Lowlander was written, produced and presented by Andy Aitchison and Meryn Walters. This was a hellish good production.
1: There's a small, badly timed pause here, not because he couldn't find the football results fast enough, but because I completely messed up the edit. Hold on to your aspirations for your favourite football team. Here he comes.
0: And now the classified football results for the week commencing the 18th of December 1944. English League, North. Accrington 4. Southport, 1. Blackburn 2, Blackpool 2, Bolton 2, Oldham 1, Bradford 6, Hull City 1, Burnley 5, Preston North End 1, Chesterfield 8, Knott's County 0, Coventry 1, Wolves 2, Crew Alexandra 4, Bury 2, Darlington 5, Middlesbrough 2, Gateshead, one, Sunderland, nil. Hartlepool, four, Bradford City, three. Huddersfield, four, Newcastle United, one. Leicester, one, Stoke City, five. Lincoln, nil, Doncaster, three. Liverpool, three, Tranmere Rovers, nil. Manchester City, six, Chester, nil. Mansfield, four, Sheffield United, one. Northampton two, Aston Villa three, Rochdale three, Halifax nil, Rotherham nil, Derby one, Sheffield Wednesday five, Barnsley nil, Stockport nil, Everton seven, West Bromwich Albion one, Birmingham four, Wrexham two, Man United one, York City three, Leeds six. English League South. Arsenal 5, Brentford 2. Clapton-O's 1, Charlton 3. Crystal Palace 1, Portsmouth 0. Fulham 3, Lytton 2. Millwall 3, Watford 3. QPR 0, Tottenham 0. Southampton 3, Brighton 2. English League West. Bristol City 4, Bath City 3, Cardiff nil, Lovells 1, Swansea 3, Aberamon 3, Scottish League South, Albion 1, Third Lanark nil, Clyde nil, Celtic 3, Dumbarton 2, Erdionians nil, Hamilton 1, Falkirk 1, Morton one, Motherwell three. Queen's Park four, St Mirren two. Rangers five, Hibbs nil. Scottish North East Cup. Raith Rovers nil, Dundee two. Aberdeen two, Dunfermline nil.
1: You gave Barry an extra goal there.
0: <sighs> Ber- Barry.
1: Yeah. No, it's fine.
0: Where? Where, 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 where? Crew where, where? Athletic
1: 4, berry 1. We can put it in as a footnote.
0: Yeah.